gospel lesson is from the 17th chapter of John, verses 6 through 19, and it really helps for this to be explained before it's read. This is the passage of Scripture um, that is referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The entire chapter is a prayer that Jesus prays that apparently disciples overhear. Now, some scholars, you recognize this in the language, wonder whether or not this prayer actually occurred after the resurrection instead of before, the way it's listed, because of the kind of language that Jesus uses. But this is Jesus praying for us. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me, I have given them, and they have received them, and they know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine is yours, and yours is mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one that was destined to be lost, so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. But I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but I ask that you protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they may also be sanctified in the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Came across a story, really it was many years ago. As a historian, I'm always interested in things that came before. And this one is out of World War II. It is about a B-17, if you know what those look like, in the South Pacific. And the plane was rather shot up. And it was coming in to make an emergency landing on one of those little island strips that our Marines and our Army Air Corps carved out of those jungle islands. And as they were coming in for a landing, the nose gun could see out of the front of the plane, and he could see them right across where they were supposed to land, but on this side of the runway was a ditch. And if they hit this ditch, the plane was going to shatter into a thousand pieces, and they were going to fall. So he keys the mic to tell the pilot what he's seeing. But as he keys the mic, he can hear the pilot saying, God, don't let me panic. God, don't let me panic. 
You ever had a prayer like that? The prayer where you know you're in serious trouble and you simply throw that prayer out there. I guess we've all had some of them. Maybe not that dramatic. But we've had them. And we know that's not the high part of prayer. Those are the prayers we pray. And I think God hears them. But that should not be the essence of how we pray. But unfortunately, oftentimes, that is how we pray and when we pray. We had an experience back, I guess it was last year, when we had had a number of people who were sick and several deaths, one after another. And most of you know we run a phone tree that announces those things. And several phone trees have gone out, bang, 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 one after another about people in various states of distress. And I got the word back, and it came through that wonderfully sensitive instrument called the church grapevine. <laughs> that people were saying, can't you ever send us any good news? The only thing you ever send on a prayer chain is bad stuff. And I sympathize with that. But of course, we send prayer chains when people ask us to send prayer chains. And it's usually about what? The hard stuff. But I know the feeling. How often we want to hold prayer to pray for what we think is serious rather than being willing to open ourselves to God in all the different parts of life. Don't you think God is as interested in your life when it's going well as He is when you're in the midst of crisis? I do. We just forget sometimes that prayer is important then. Too. Jesus had developed a lifetime of prayer. We see that throughout the Gospels. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as he's coming to crucifixion, or if the scholars are right, this is after crucifixion, as he's preparing for ascension, that he takes time to talk with God. Now, you can say if this is Jesus' last hours on earth, he's in the midst of a crisis. He knows where he's going. But you don't hear Jesus saying, God don't let me panic, God don't let me panic. That's the prayers we offer. <laughs> what you have in this great high priestly prayer is Jesus praying that God's purpose for his life will be fulfilled in us. Not just the disciples then, but all of us. Now, there are many things, and I only read a part of the prayer, there are many things that Jesus asked God for in this prayer, but I want to just talk about two this morning. And the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus prayed that we not be taken out of the world. How often is it that our prayers are, God, help me escape. Get me out of the trouble. Help me move beyond what I'm experiencing now. But Jesus doesn't pray for us to escape. That's not what he says. He prays not that we can be taken out of the world, but that we can find victory in the world. The kind of Christianity that buries itself all somewhere where the only thing it does is talk to God and never deals with the issues of the world is probably not the best Christianity example for us. Now, we desperately need our faith to be rooted in prayer, in meditation, 
But it can never be us being taken out of the world, withdrawing. Jesus said, your salt, your life, you're supposed to be in the world to make a difference. And so faith isn't supposed to withdraw us from the world. But it offers us a way to creatively address the world and maybe even, if we're very blessed, solve some of the difficulties we find in life. Tom Long, who is a well-known homiletics, that's a preaching professor. He's been in many seminaries around the country. He writes this. He says, one of the most serious challenges to Christian faith today is what I call the sunshine and roses view of theology. Maybe you can run across it. According to this view, if you believe deeply enough, if you trust firmly enough, and have a relationship with God that is solid enough, then all the bumpy roads of life will be made smooth, and the anxiety will disappear. And then he gives some examples. He said, so the mother who's having an endless round of conflict with a teenage daughter, or the man who is depressed because his arthritis begins to get worse and worse each time, or the woman who doubts whether or not God is around because all of her romantic interests seem to fall apart. Someone will say, well, if your faith were just strong enough, you wouldn't have these problems. And then Long says, what makes this idea so dangerous is it touches on the edge of the truth, but it's not the truth. The gospel is a deep river of hope for all of us, but it is not a promise that we will be removed from life's difficulties. Jesus Christ himself wasn't removed from life's difficulties. But he lived and died through them to bring us salvation. And that's part of our issues of life. We are in the world, but not of the world. How often we want to find a place to escape to. Escape is fun. Isn't that what we do on vacations? We go someplace to get away from what we normally do. But those are temporary. Those aren't forever. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus prays that we will be able to endure trials and the temptations. How uplifting it is to know that God is the one who stands guard over our lives, even when they seem to be falling apart. How powerful that is for us. A minister, this is uh, more than 100 years ago, 150 years ago, was called to a small church on the coast of, off of the Devon people. He was replacing a minister who was there who was dying. This minister served there for 25 years or so, and he too, probably because of the climate, contracted various illnesses, and his physician said, if you don't go to a warmer, drier climate, you're going to die. So he is writing his last sermon. 
He is preparing the church for him to leave. But of course, they know he's leaving. This man's name, and some of you may recognize it, was Henry Francis Light. And that Sunday afternoon, as he prepared for the last evening service, he wrote what is perhaps one of the most famous hymns, not the song as we would sing in this service, but a hymn in the English-speaking world. Abide with me, fast falls the deep tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless. Abide with me. I don't know the powerful words of that outside of Scripture itself. So Jesus prays for us, not that we're going to escape, but that we're going to triumph in the lives we live. There's another essential that I want to lift up for you, and it's sort of hidden in you. You have to listen very carefully to see it. But Jesus prays that there will be unity among his disciples, that they might be one, as he and the Father are one, is the way the text expresses He prays that we will not live as units within a culture, but that we will have unity as we gather. The great theologian and biblical scholar William Barclay says there are divisions where exclusiveness and competition develops between churches. Where there is disunity and a lack of peace, and it always causes Christianity to be harmed and hindered. The gospel cannot truly be preached in any congregation that is not united as a band of sisters and brothers. The unity of the church is the unity that is supposed to be life what Jesus shares with God the Father. It is a unity which is founded entirely for us upon who Jesus is. We don't have unity in ourselves, but only as we connect with Him. We saw that just a couple of weeks ago when we read that wonderful passage earlier in John where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you're cut off from me, you can do nothing. Our unity is dependent on us staying connected to Jesus. This is the fourth congregation that I have served in 35 years of ministry. And I have been fortunate over the years to have served in some of those churches that were powerfully united. I've also served at least one that wasn't. This congregation, I think, has been blessed in recent years that it is finding again a unity that perhaps at one point in our history we have lost. But I think we're finding that again. But it is so important that we remember that that unity is not because I like you. 
It is because we are one in Christ. And that makes us one with each other. It doesn't mean we all look alike. It doesn't mean we all think alike. It doesn't even mean that our theology is precisely the same. It's perfectly okay for the church to have differences of opinion. One place where we don't have difference is we have been made one Jesus. I do not think that this church has yet to build on the unity that is growing here. I think the unity of the church can be such a powerful thing that we can do what seems to others to be all but impossible. Because when we present a united front, casting everything we have upon our Christ, we can truly do the impossible. It's been more than 100 years ago when in New York City they were building what was then the Hell's Gate Bridge over the East River. And, uh, Hell's Gate Bridge was originally built as a railroad bridge to connect Manhattan and Brooklyn. And as they were ready to sink the enormous stone pilings upon which this bridge would be built, as they dug down into the muck where one of the pilings was going to go, they discovered a wreck the remains of an old ship down beneath the water. And they tried everything they could think of to get this thing out of the way. They didn't want to just blast a hole in it because if it shifted later, it could cause enough pressure to dislodge the pier and obviously bridges fall when that happens. Well, they were unable to find a way to lift it. Couldn't move it. And finally, it was actually one of the workers, not one of the engineers, said, I've got an idea. And so at low tide, they brought in an enormous barge, and they chained it to the wreck as tightly as they could chain it. And they waited for the tide to rise. And as the tide came up, it began to lift the barge. And as it did, it pulled this wreck up out of the muck, the barge gets towed off to a deep place in the river, and the wreck is let go. And it's out. That's the kind of power that we're supposed to find as a congregation. That's what God wants us to have. You know, when we were doing our study back during Lynn, I find it heart, we talked a lot about prayer and about our learning to pray more fruitfully. One of the things we also talked about was a church that does not have the appearance of unity is a church that new people don't have any interest in. Who wants to come into the middle of a family fight? Nobody. So our unity is not just important us. It's also important for those we might reach out to. Because if we don't 
exhibit that to the world. What a poor witness to Jesus that is for us. There are other things we could say about this prayer. But for me, these are the two that are most essential. In the world, not of the world, and the unity that God has given us that we now get to use to lift ourselves above the monk and to go forward and do ministry God has called us to do. I think that's a wonderful idea for us. Can we do that? See, I think we can. I'm banking on it. I trust you too, trusting in God, are banking on it. Because that's who we are going to be as a church. I told someone sitting in the congregation earlier this week that this sermon was going to be extra long. I found a way to cut it down. And then I'm the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 